want to pray for us. Um, and I, when I get the opportunity to do that, I ask you guys to pray with me. One of the amazing things is that we can pray, first of all, that God has opened his ears to hear us, and he desires that we pray. I think it's pretty amazing that we can all pray at the same time, and God hears every one of those prayers, right? I mean, it's not like us. God is not like us. And so I ask if you would pray with me, if all of our voices would go up to him right now and ask him to do something amazing in our time together. Um, pray whatever you want, but pray with me that the Holy Spirit would be good to teach us this morning and especially to encourage us, because I don't know about you, um, but I need encouragement, and so I just imagine that you do as well. So will you guys pray with me? Yeah, good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your people. Uh, thank you for you being you, that you can hear us right now as we, as we lift up our own prayers to you. Some of those prayers are prayers of, of hurt and great need, and God, how amazing and good you are to hear those prayers. You are with us. Father, we, we pray for our time together. We lift up a prayer for that, that you would be especially good. We know that you are with us. Your Holy Spirit indwells us. That is a promise that we believe is true. Your Holy Spirit is always with us. So you are always with us. We pray that you would be with us now in a really special way, Holy Spirit, that you would, would come in great power, that you would help us to, to hear the word, to understand the word. Father, I, I pray that you would, would help us to see the beauty of the gospel as we, as we open up your word today, the beauty of Jesus. I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray that if there is someone here today who is not a believer, and I'm so excited that they are here today. I pray that today would be the day that they hear the gospel and believe the good news of Jesus. Today would be the day. Father, do amazing things in our midst. Holy Spirit, you do that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. From the beginning, um, God has always provided for his people. We are in Titus uh, chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 5 through 15 this morning. We'll focus in on some particular verses there, but that's our passage if you want to turn there. So God has always provided for his people, and we see that. We see that in the scripture again and again and again. Uh, we see it in the beginning, in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, God provided for Adam and Eve. He provided everything that they need. All of, all of their needs were provided for uh, in the garden. We, we see uh, for Israel, as Israel was set free from their captivity in Egypt, as they wandered in the wilderness, we see again and again and again God providing for his people, providing food for them, providing water for them in the wilderness, providing victory over their enemies, providing a land for them, protecting them, keeping them. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God providing for his people in the prophets that he sent, calling them to love and follow him, calling them back to the covenant that they made with him. We see kings. We see God providing kings to lead his people. God always provides for his people. Now, Jesus obviously is a part of that 
provision. Um, but in the New Testament, one of my favorite passages about God's provision is in Matthew chapter 6, how God provides for his people. And I want to read these verses, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25, Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, and what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is promising his disciples and every disciple, every believer that comes after them that he will provide for their needs. He, he sees you and he knows what your needs are. And Jesus says, seek the Father, seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness. Everything that you need, he will provide for you. Now that is an amazing promise, amen? And, and listen, it, it, God is faithful. Paul, Paul says in the start of this letter, it, it, God does not lie. And so we can have a confident expectation in his promises, even when they are difficult for us functionally to believe. God will provide for every need that we have. This morning's passage is really about that. It's about God's provision for us. It's about God seeing us and knowing us and, and, and taking care of us by providing for us everything that we need. And in the church, one of the ways that he does that is through elders, elders in the church. So that's what we're talking about. The church in Crete, we talked about over the last couple of weeks, was a really young church, very young. Um, three years old at the most is what most people believe. Um, Paul has left Titus um, with the people in Crete to help the church there to get established, to get its, its feet under it and become a healthy church. Paul's desire is, we talked about this, that the church would grow in their deep and intimate knowledge of Jesus and the gospel, and that they would believe the promises of God and find their hope so securely in him that their life more and more would be a life of godliness, a life that looked like the life of Jesus. That is what he is, is hoping for this church. But there is a problem, and we talked about it last week, and the problem in the church in Crete is false teachers. False teachers had become a part of the church. So look with me if you have your Bible um, at, at chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. We'll read these verses. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. 
They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, these false teachers, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Again, we talked about this in detail last week, but there were people who were a part of, of the church, and, and, and a lot of them were from a Jewish background, and they were teaching Jesus plus the law. So what they were saying is, yes, you need Jesus. Jesus is great. You should believe in Jesus, but, but you also have to keep the law. And so it is Jesus plus the law in order for you to be a Christian. And you can't be a Christian apart from keeping the law. Yes to Jesus, but yes also to keeping the law. There was another group, and they were teaching Jewish myths, right? These things that were added to the Bible, these uh, stories that were made up about characters from the Bible, and they were emphasizing these stories rather than talking about the Bible, rather than talking about what God had given us, rather than talking about Jesus himself. Each of these was leading the people away from, from what Paul had hoped, and Paul's hope was that they would grow in their knowledge of the gospel, that they would grow deep, deep, deep faith in, in the promises of God and in what he had done for them in and through Jesus himself. So, so what was happening was the people were being pulled away from the truth of the gospel and led away from Jesus himself. And he said, he said these teachers are upsetting whole families meaning the, 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 what we call the missional communities, but he was talking about the house churches on Crete. They're leading entire house churches away from, away from the gospel and away from Jesus, and they need to be stopped. They profess to know God. They say that they know God. They say things about God, but they deny, they deny him by their works. They teach for shameful gain, misleading this young church. They are detestable. They are disobedient. They are unfit for any good work. So there was a danger, and the church was being pulled away from Jesus and pulled away from, from the gospel itself. This was on top of the danger that they had just from the culture in Crete. The culture in Crete, we, we get a glimpse of that in verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, meaning one, one of the, the prophets from the island of Crete, one of their own people described the, the, the people of Crete as this way. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul says this testimony is true of them. So, so these people from the island of Crete, this is who they were, and they have now become the church. That's the people who, who were new in their faith who made up the church on the island of Crete. Even without these false teachers, they would be in danger of being pulled away by their culture. But now, with these false teachers, there was even a greater danger for them. Verse 11, the false teachers must be silenced. Verse 13 says, rebuke them sharply. So, Paul says in verse 5, 
In verse 5, he says, this is why I left you in Crete. I left you in Crete to put what remains in in order. I, I left you there so that you could appoint elders in the church, elders in every town, just as I directed you to do. And then Paul reminds Titus of what kind of person an elder should be. So I want to look at the qualifications for elder. But before I do, I want to say this, and I'm so glad that it was a part of our liturgy this morning. If you were paying any attention to it, uh, our liturgy used some of our verses. And Caroline was saying how sometimes she doesn't do these things, or maybe she tries to do these things in, in her own, in her flesh. Here's the thing. These are qualifications for elder. But with, with the exception of teaching and managing, all of these are, 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 are what a Christian should look like. So, so I, I am saying that to you this morning so that you understand when we go through this and we describe what an elder should be, what the qualifications are, there's a call on every single Christian. These are the things that should be said about you. Not so that you can be an elder, but just because God calls us to be holy as he is. As Paul said, our our hope, our confident expectation should lead us to godliness. This is what it looks like to be God's people. This is what it looks like to be shaped into the image of Jesus. So while these apply to elders, they honestly apply to every single one of us. So, qualifications for elder, verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So let's just walk through these, right? Now, we could spend days talking about these. There are books written on these. We're not going to do that. I'm going to move pretty quickly. Above reproach, that's where it starts. Above reproach doesn't mean perfect. Above reproach doesn't mean that the person is perfect. Remember the context. These are, 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 are young believers from a young church made up of people from this culture that is described as evil, lazy, violent gluttons who worshiped false gods. They lied and they pursued excess, like excesses in life. This is who they were. And, and, and this is the culture that they have come out of. So Paul is not saying, listen, Titus, I need you to find some guys who are perfect and who have always been perfect. That is absolutely impossible. If if an elder had to be a perfect person who had always lived a perfect life, we wouldn't have any elders in the church. Really what they're saying by being above uh, reproach is that these are men who love Jesus. These are men who are pursuing godliness. These are men who, who understand the gospel, and, and, and we see gospel transformation in their life. We look at their life, and we see them more and more being shaped into the image of God. 
He's not saying they have to be perfect. In fact, one of the ways that I describe this often is that being above reproach would mean that if somebody made an accusation against Mike and said, oh, I heard such and such about Mike, our first response would not be, yeah, I'm not surprised by that, right? That guy shouldn't be an elder. But our response would be, are you kidding? Like, I could never see Mike doing that. I can't imagine him doing that. That's what it means to be above reproach. The same is true for our elders here at New City. Our elders are not perfect. We have a past. We, we, we have made mistakes in our life. We continue to make mistakes. I lead the way in mistake-making. So if, if, if you think being above reproach means that I am perfect, let me go ahead and burst that bubble right now. I'm not. And, and, and neither are any of our other elders. We, we, we all make mistakes. But I can say we also uh, all love Jesus. And we love the people of New City Church. And we, we, we believe the gospel. And we love the gospel. And we love all that the gospel means. And we want what is best for you, the people of New City. So, above reproach. The second one is husband of one wife. Just this one thing has books written on it. People fight about it all the time. I'm just going to tell you New City's position on this. Um, you can agree with it or disagree with it because for, for, for centuries people have done that. Some agree with it and some disagree with it. Our position is this, and that is that Paul is not primarily talking about whether a person has ever been divorced in their life. Some churches hold that position. We don't. We believe that if Paul was saying that, there is a word that he would have used that he uses in other places um, that, that translates directly as divorce. Paul doesn't use that word here. What, what we believe is that these are descriptors, all of these, talking about a man's character. And even the idea of, of being, the, the literal translation here is one woman kind of man. He should be a one-woman kind of man, meaning, meaning, as we understand it, that his character is such that he's not, a, he's not a womanizer. He's not a flirt. He's not chasing other women. He is a man who understands the, the, the view of marriage in the eyes of God, and he holds that view of marriage. He is a man who, who, who understands what it means to love his wife as Christ loves the church. He doesn't do it perfectly, but that's what he wants. He wants to love his wife. He pursues his wife. So, so it's not that a man has ever in his whole life been divorced under whatever circumstances. It's the man's character. Does he love his wife? Does he pursue his wife? Does he lead her well? That's our position. Husband of one wife is connected family-wise to the next one, and that is having faithful children. And this doesn't mean that a man has to be married and have children, but if a man is married and if a man does have children, then we should look at his household as we are considering him to be an elder. What is his household like? It doesn't mean that his children have to be believers. That would be silly because some men have children who are too young to be believers, and the truth is, for any of us, no matter how good of a parent that we are, at some point our children have to make their own decision, whether they will love and follow Jesus or not. And at some point there is absolutely nothing that we can do to make them believe the good news of the gospel. 
And so again, I, I, I don't think that this means that his, he has to have children and that his children have to be believers. I, I think really what it means is that the, the, the question really is, d- d- does, does his children follow him? Right? As a father and as a leader in the household, d- does he lead his household well? Does he lead his children well? Do his children respect and honor their father? Do they, do they follow him? Now look at verse 7, because this is a part of that. It says, for an overseer, an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Paul isn't repeating himself by saying must be above reproach. There is more here. What Paul is saying is that as an overseer, as an overseer, someone as God's steward, you have to be above reproach. A steward is like a manager. A steward is someone who is put in charge of something that belongs to someone else. And so an elder is, in, in essence, being put in charge of the body of Christ. An elder is being put in charge of overseeing and managing God's church. It's not my church as a lead pastor. It's not the elder's church because the elders are are a team. It's God's church. And and we are here as as overseers in God's church, as, as stewards of God's church, managing for God. We are here to make sure that the the body of Christ is doing what the body of Christ should be doing, that the bride of Christ looks like the bride of Christ. Let, let, Let me talk very quickly about those two things. As the body of Christ, the elders are 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 overseers to make sure that the body of Christ, that is New City Church, this family of people that you are a part of, part of our responsibility is to make sure that the outside world sees us as Jesus here and now. That's what it means that we are the body of Christ. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his mouth, we're his ears. We are the body of Christ present. And that's why I say all the time, like, like, like this is, if this were a sport, it would be a participation sport. You don't, you don't, you don't sit and just watch things happen. Like God has called you to be a missionary. God has made you in Christ to be a missionary and to be a servant. And so part of the role of the elders as, as stewards is to make sure that we are being the body of Christ to one another and to the world that God intends us to be. The other is the bride of Christ. We are responsible for the church as the bride of Christ. And there is um, a a picture that we often don't get when it comes to uh, the bride of Christ. Um, The bride of Christ, one day Jesus is coming back, right? He is coming back for us. And, 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 And the picture that the Bible paints is that the church is his bride. And so as his bride, the, the, the elders of the church manage. We are stewards of his bride. And so w- when Jesus comes back in the, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, there was an engagement period, and it was a lengthy engagement period. And there was a separation from the groom and, and the bride-to-be. And during this separation, there was a steward who was put in charge of her. 
And part of the steward's role was to make sure that she was ready for marriage, to make sure that she was as beautiful as, as she could be when the groom came for her, to make sure that she was beautiful and spotless. That was what the role of the steward was. That is the role of the elders. Right? As stewards, as managers of the church, that is what we are here to do. To, to make sure that you guys who are the bride of Christ as much as we can. To make sure that you are walking with Jesus. To make sure as much as you can that you are beautiful when Jesus comes. To make sure that you are looking forward with, with hope to his return. That's what it means that, that, that we should be overseers and stewards. Not arrogant. Right, So we move from this list of things that, that should characterize Paul flip-flops, and he says, look, here's some things that the guy should not be. Should not be arrogant, self-centered, self-absorbed. Should not be a prideful person. Should not be someone who thinks too highly of himself. Should not be quick-tempered. Like all of the rest of these, being quick-tempered uh, is, a, is a general characterization. It doesn't mean that this is a guy who has never lost his temper. It doesn't mean that the first time that he, he does lose his temper that he's kicked off of the elder team. It is a general characterization of him that he is not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, right? This means that he is not someone who, who drinks in excess. He's not someone who gets drunk, not violent. That means not a, 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 a bully, not someone who is constantly pushing people around, not someone who is threatening, not greedy for gain, right? What is their pursuit in life? Remembering Crete, and, and, and all, of these, all of these really are a contrast to the false teachers who were in Crete. But remember, in, in, in Crete, one of the problems was that there were, they were a culture, first of all, of excess, and an elder should not be someone who is pursuing excess like that. But there were also those in the church who were teaching these false gospels, uh, lying to the church, leading the church away from Jesus, and they were doing it for their own greedy gain. Right? There are pastors like that now. There are elders like that now. People who want position and who want power, and they're all about their own gain. Greedy for gain. Paul says that's not the guy who should be an elder. Instead, these men should be hospitable. Hospitable. Now, what this means, uh, sometimes we mistake biblical hospitality. I want to remind you again, everything that I'm saying here applies to every one of you, Right? We should be hospitable, whether you're an elder or not. You should be hospitable. Sometimes we think of being hospitable as, as being um, uh, a person who enjoys fellowship, right? So we're always hanging out with our people, uh, people that we know, people that we love, right? So since we do missional communities here at New City, I would say being hospitable is one of the things that our missional communities should be. Sometimes that becomes very inwardly focused and we really love one another. But being hospitable in the, in the Bible really meant that we welcomed strangers, not that we welcomed one another. My goodness, that's the expectation, I mean, we are expected to love one another and welcome one another. Being hospitable is completely different from that. It means we welcome people who aren't like us. We welcome strangers into our home. We welcome people who may or, or maybe they believe the same things as us. Maybe they don't. 
Being hospitable is, is, is loving your neighbor as yourself, even when your neighbor's not like you. It's opening your home up to others and maybe having them over for dinner. Being hospitable is being missional. It's reaching others. It's loving like Jesus loves. Next is lover of good. He should be a man who, who, who loves and seeks what God calls good. He should be a man who is self-controlled, right? The opposite of not having any self-control. Um, this is also one of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, he should be upright and holy. Upright can also mean just. So here's a person who is, 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 is just. We should be a people who are just, just in how we view other people, uh, just in how we treat other people. We should be holy, holy, um, pursuing the things of God, holy, set apart for God, um, holy in, in, in pursuing Him. Um, disciplined. An elder should be somebody who is disciplined. That just means well-ordered and organized in life. It should not be a person who is scattered. So most of these thus far have just been like character traits and qualifications for someone who should be an elder or could be an elder. Now, all of those character traits are sandwiched between a couple of things that are really um, competencies or capabilities. One is, and we already talked about it, he should be a good manager, a good leader. And the way you find out that he's a good leader and manager is to look at his home. If he can't lead at home, he can't lead in the church. The second one um, the, uh, of the bookends here of these character traits is that he should be theologically equipped. He must hold fast to the gospel. He must hold fast to the gospel. That's what Paul is saying in verse 9. He must hold fast to the word as taught. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The word that Paul is referring to is not the Bible, although we certainly should be men who love the Bible and, 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 and believe um, all the things rightly about the Bible. But the word that he is referring to specifically is the word that has been entrusted to him to preach to the Gentiles, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason that um, Paul gives for holding firm to the gospel and knowing it deeply and, and believing it is so that the elder would be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, that, 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 that the elder would be able to teach the commands of God in light of the gospel, that an elder would be able to rebuke false teachers with the truth of the gospel. So, he must know and believe and understand the gospel with all of its implications. So, context of elders, false teachers, needed elders. Uh, qualifications, we just went through those. Let me, we, we've touched on some of this, but I want to talk about the job of the elders and what the elders are supposed to do in the church. Um, three of the words for elder are used um, in different different places, and they all mean the same thing. Um, three of the words are used in these verses for this same position, elder, overseer, and steward. So those are used interchangeably. Um, let's start with elder. 
uh, in, in the Old Testament, the word elder, like elder was not something that was just in the church. An elder was someone in a community who was recognized for their wisdom and respected in the community, right? So an elder should be someone in the church body who is respected for their wisdom and the church body looks to for leadership. They are leaders in this community. Um, another word is overseer, an overseer. Um, this, this is the same office, right? Elder, overseer, same thing, just a different function. Overseer seems to be sort of a, a, a pointing to a, a governing authority that an elder has in the church. The overseer watches over the church, right? That's part of the job of the elder to be an overseer, making sure, making sure that the church is going in the right direction, making sure that the church is fulfilling its calling and its mission, God's mission for the church. So an elder is making sure that this church is not just doing stuff. But this church is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ and fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ. Steward, we talked about that one a minute ago. A steward is a manager of someone else's um, property. That's what elders are, managing uh, the body of Christ, managing the bride of Christ, making sure that in both of those, the church, that's you guys, are everything that God intends you to be. Pastor or shepherd, right? Same word, translated a little bit different in different places, but um, it, it's really a functional description that, that, that says that elders should care for the body. Like a shepherd cares for his, his sheep, caring for the people of, of the church. This is, this is encouragement for the church. Elders should be encouraging the people of God. Sometimes it means rebuke. Um, just like Paul says in here, you need to appoint elders and they need to rebuke these false teachers. Sometimes that's it. It includes things like visitation as part of the care. Um, it, it includes prayer, praying, right? We are elders are to pray for the people, even to lay hands on people and pray for the, the healing of those who are sick or are in great need. Um, that's part of being a pastor and, and, and a shepherd. It also means protecting, right? Like a shepherd would protect the sheep when he was out in the field uh, from, from bears or from lions. And so shepherds are protectors of God's people. This goes back again to understanding the gospel and theology, understanding how easy it is that we are, are pulled away from the gospel itself. Um, we need to be able to see those things happening and confront the people in the church who, who are moving us away from the gospel. And the idea of confronting them is, 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 is to have them solid in their faith, to have them believing the truth of the gospel as well. Leading, we talked about leading a little bit. Um, we see this in how they lead their wife and their children at home. Um, we, see it, 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 we see them leading in character. Like these aren't just character qualities, but they should be leading in that. These are men who should be leading in virtue and leading in morals. We see them leading in their missional engagement. Um, I, I, I say fairly often to our leadership at New City, leading doesn't mean that we just tell people what to do. So there's, a, there's an idea that, man, when you're an elder, you just get to tell people what to do. That, that is 
ignorant. It's so far from the truth. What we talk about in leadership is, is you, you, you don't just tell people where to go, you lead them. And we are responsible for you guys and leading you guys in the places that we are supposed to go. A shepherd can't just tell the sheep, go over there. The shepherd has to lead the people to where it is that they ought to be. You can't lead where you aren't going. That's what I say often to our leaders. You can't go or lead where you aren't going. So elders lead. And finally, we already talked about it, but elders teach the gospel, and they teach the gospel applied. So elders have to know the gospel. They have to know all of the intricacies of the gospel and all of the beauty of the gospel and how the gospel really does apply to all of life, how, how the good news of the gospel is what, what, what eases our anxiety, how the good news of the gospel is what gives us our identity, not, not culture, not the world, not what the people on TV say that we should be. It's, it's the gospel itself. It gives us a new identity. We are children of God. We are family. We have a new purpose in life. Jesus calls us his missionaries. We are his body, the body of Christ, present here and now while we wait for his return. Jesus makes us servants, right? Family, missionary, servants. I have come, he said, to serve, not to be served. You guys are being shaped into, I am being shaped into his image. And if his image is the image of a servant, then I should be growing more and more to look like him as a servant. All of that flows out of the gospel. And so we as elders need to understand deeply the gospel and be able to teach the gospel um, applied. Again, so that we can lead, so that we can help, and even so that we can rebuke when there are false teachers in our midst. So, um, man, that was a lot, wasn't it? Are y'all still awake? I'm like, Lord, do I really have to teach this today? I do. I do. But here's what I want you to know. Like, New City has elders. We, we are an elder-led church. And I want to say this because, <laughs> are y'all listening? Y'all, this is not the Keith show. And sometimes you guys have the idea that if Keith says it, it just is. It doesn't work that way. We have a team of elders, and our team of elders votes. And sometimes, sometimes our team of elders fight because we have disagreement. I don't just roll in the room and say, hey, we're doing this. We have a group of men who, who, who lead New City, the, the elder team here. Our elder team leads New City, and, and, and I, I do believe, I do believe we're not perfect. We're not perfect, but God has blessed New City with some, some really good men, men who I believe love Jesus, who, who love you, his bride, who want to see you grow and thrive, men who want what is best for you and who want what is, is best for, for, for the church, for the church of Jesus Christ, men who want to honor and glorify Jesus. Men who want your lives to be transformed and to, to see you love Jesus and walk with Jesus and more and more to see your lives look like his life. 
So I am, I am thankful for those men. Aside from me and Larry, our other elders work outside jobs. They have families. They have kids. They, 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 are, they, are, they are just busy in life, just like you guys are busy in life. And to that busyness and to their family, they add you. They willingly add you because they love you. They willingly add your family because they love your family and they want what is best for your family. They, 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 they pray for you. They hope the best for you. They, they plan. When we plan things at New City Church, we are planning those things for the good of the bride of Christ. They plan for you. They lead you. And I tell you, I think, I think all of them, I can say this, they will fight for you. They will fight for you. And, and it's because they love Jesus and they love you. Because we love Jesus and we love you. So, quickly, right? That's, that's why elders, that's what elders, that's our new city elders and, and, and what I think of of them and what we strive for. Paul has said this, this gospel message is central to the church, verses 1 through 4. And then he says there is a danger to the church. There is a danger to the church, and the danger is that there are false teachers who are leading the people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to pause right here because I've talked a lot. I've used the word gospel a lot, but I have not told you what the gospel is, right? If you've been here very long, you know we can't have a day at New City that ends that way, right? So here is the good news that the Apostle Paul was fighting for that was so crucial to the life and the health of the church, and that is this. It starts with the bad news. The bad news is we are all broken. Every one of us has sinned, and we all come short of the glory of God, and that sin in our life separates us from God. Right? The bad news is we are separated from God and we are incapable of fixing that brokenness. We cannot, we cannot span the gap that sin has caused between us and God. Nothing that we can do on our own will fix it. Even if we could begin living a perfect and holy life today, which we won't, but even if we could, that wouldn't erase all of our sins from yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. God was not satisfied with this separation. So the good news is this. He sent Jesus, his son. Jesus lived the life that every one of us has failed to live. Jesus died the death that we deserve because of sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. Every one of us, every one of us has sinned, and, and that means that every one of us is deserving of death. Jesus, when he died on the cross, what he was doing was substituting himself for us. And the wrath of God that should be poured out on us because of our sin was poured out on Jesus. Beautiful. Jesus died the death that we deserve, suffered the wrath that should have been ours. On the third day, Jesus was raised from death, defeating death and sin and Satan. One day he is coming back, right? He's coming back for his bride. Who is his bride? His bride is anyone who trusts in what he's done rather than what you can do. The good news of the gospel is you, you, you don't have to try anymore. The good news of the gospel is that you, you don't have to be perfect. You can't be perfect. That's why Jesus came. 
The good news of the gospel is that when you believe in him, when you trust in his work and not your own work, when you trust in his life, his death, his resurrection, then you are forgiven of your sin. Not only are your sins forgiven, but the very righteousness of Jesus, the holiness that is required to be in the presence of God, it is granted to you as if it were your own holiness. And so now when God sees you, he sees you as holy and righteous and perfect and pure because of Jesus. In Christ, you were made a son or a daughter of the king, a child of God. That is the good news of the gospel. And, 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 and no story that could be told from the Bible is better than that story. Amen? Jewish myths that Paul was fighting, and they, 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 they could not hold a candle to the truth and the beauty of the gospel. And listen, if you, if, you, if you feel like you have to add something to the good news of the gospel, if you feel like you have to add the law to the gospel, man, that is a weight you are not meant to bear. Jesus has set you free from that weight. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news that Paul was fighting for. That's the gospel. That's the good news that the church is built on. That, that's the good news that changes everything in our lives. That's the good news with a, a big G, right? A capital G. So, so let me tell you some more good news with a little G that, that brings it back to where we started this morning. And, 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 and more good news because of Jesus is that God, God has done something beautiful for his church. He promised, I see you. He promised, I am with you. He promised, I will send whatever you need. And one of the ways that God has done this is through elders. God sees you and God knows you and he, he, he knows how easy it is for us to be pulled away from the gospel. He knows that there is something in us that feels like we have to perform or we won't be loved. We, we have to meet the standard or we don't count. God knows that. And in the church, he raised up men who would say, listen to me. Listen to me. This is not about your performance. This is about what Jesus has done for you. Now, when you love him and you follow him, your life is going is to take an entirely different course. And from the love that you have from him and the hope that you have in the future that he has promised, your desires are going to change. Yes, you're going to live a godly life, but, but listen to me. It's not so that you will be loved. It's because you are loved. That is completely different. God saw that culture would pull you away from Jesus. And he raised men up in the church to say, don't go there. You're straying from Jesus. In the family, and he has, he has given us a family. We, 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 we talked about that. This, this is our family. It is a gift from him. And within that family who loves us and cares for us, God raises up men called elders who lead and point us to Jesus. So, 
How do we respond? How do we respond to what God has done for us in elders? And I know talking about elders doesn't seem exciting at all. But you have got to see it as God's goodness to you. It's God providing for you. It's God loving you. It's God caring for you. That's what it is. So how do we respond? I think, first of all, with thanksgiving and praise. I think that we should see all of this and see God's nearness to us. Right? This is evidence that God is near. We should see this as God's goodness. We should see this as his love and provision and his care for us. We should know that God loves us. You should know that God loves you and God cares for you and God graciously provides for you. Here's the second way that I think that we should respond. Be present in the family. You were created for family, and family was created for you. That is the truth that, man, cover to cover, the Bible talks about. You were created for family, and family was created for you, and you will not receive the benefit of God's good provision for you in your life if you are not in the family. You will not receive it if you are not connected to the family. So be here. Be here, and I'm not just talking about be here on a Sunday. I, Sundays are great. I say this all the time. Be in a missional community. Serve the body somewhere. Serve the city of Macon with your missional community. Be a part of the family, right? Not a spectator, but a participant in the family of God. That's what you were created for. And this is the place that you were created for. Thirdly, Every one of us, every one of us, the things that we've talked about in here apply to all of us as followers of Christ. We are supposed to be these things. Men, men, I want to say this. In 1 Timothy, Paul said it is good to aspire to be an elder. Good to aspire, to desire to be an elder. If you aspire, if you have a desire to be an elder, um, come and talk with me or one of our other elders, and let's talk about that process and what it looks like. Um, and, and, and let's get there together. The title of this series is Growing in Christ Together, and I think that is what God gives us elders for, to help us grow together in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would see in all of this not just a, a list of what an elder is or should be. I really pray, God, that we would see your goodness to us, that you love your people and you care for us, that you desire to provide for us, to protect us. Help us to see in that that you know us, that you love us, that you see our needs and you see our weaknesses. And this is one of a, a bazillion ways that you provide. You provide because you do care and you do love us. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.